John chapter 6, verses 51 through 71. Jesus was teaching in Capernaum and had spoken of the bread from heaven. They had thought about the bread from heaven like manna in the wilderness. And he says that he himself is the bread from heaven, the bread of life. Now I'll go ahead and begin reading in verse 51. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one... Oh, I guess I'll start in verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. Dear God, we thank you for the words of life that we have in Scripture recorded for us. We thank you for the revelation of your grace and truth through Jesus Christ, your Son. We pray that you would bless this word that we have read, and as it is expounded and preached, that it would be understood by us, that we might profit from it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage speaks of feeding upon and drinking the flesh and blood of Christ. That is quite the topic uh, to talk about, right? It's uh, 
not the type of ordinary thing that people talk about. <laughs> Feeding upon and drinking the flesh and blood of Christ. Now, when we think about uh, eating Christ's flesh and drinking his blood, it's pretty natural for us, I think, to think about the Lord's Supper. Because we, we do that regularly, and we talk about eating and drinking and Christ's body and blood. Now, this passage does not refer directly to the Lord's Supper, um, although we'll see that it's relevant. It's not talking about it directly, though, and that's evident because not only does it not talk about the Lord's Supper explicitly, it doesn't mention it, and the Lord's Supper had not yet been instituted, we hadn't gotten to that point yet, but also he says that whoever feeds on his flesh and drinks his blood will be saved. We'll be raised up on the last days, the words he used. So whoever eats and drinks of his flesh and blood will be saved on that last day, will be raised up to glory. Now, are there people who partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper who are not going to be saved? That's true in Scripture. We find that. In fact, that's one of Paul's arguments in 1 Corinthians 10, that just as in the Old Testament, so in the New Testament, there are those who take of the sacraments in the church and yet do not have true faith in Christ, who might fall away into idolatry. And so one must take heed lest you fall and to examine oneself and make sure you're placing your faith in Christ and fleeing from idolatry. Um, and so he's not speaking of the Lord's Supper directly, but he is referring to uh, what the Lord's Supper symbolizes, that spiritual reality, that thing signified in the Lord's Supper. He's talking about partaking of Christ. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament of the reality described here. This passage describes what is symbolized in the supper and confirmed and even held forth to us under these visible signs. Nor does this passage describe literally eating bits and pieces of his flesh and blood. Um, this eating and drinking, like I've already said in an earlier sermon, is a way of referring to communion in his flesh and blood, participating in their benefits by virtue of a union with Christ. Think about it. What is eating bread? What is it to eat bread? That's, you know, to unite the bread with yourself, to make the bread part of yourself so that you receive its benefits. You received its power. You received its life, right? Its nourishment. You have communion with that bread, this sharing uh, of the bread with you. What is it to eat the bread of God? It is to have communion with Christ, to receive his benefits, his power, his life, by virtue of union with his flesh and blood. It is a spiritual union with a very physical thing. Think of verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. This eating and drinking is referring to this this communion with Christ, abiding in him, he and us. Jesus uses similar language in chapter 15, which we'll come to, where he uses the analogy of branches in a vine. Just as living branches participate in the vine, so true disciples of Christ abide in Christ and he in them, and therefore they live and bear much fruit. We have a very similar analogy here using food, just as a branch being in a vine causes it to 
share in the nourishment of the vine and therefore live. And the vine is Christ and we are the branches. You know, so in eating and drinking, uh, those who feed upon Christ, that Christ is the food, his body and blood is the food, and we are the eaters. And those who abide in him, he and us will live and bear much fruit. So it's referring to this communion with Christ is the thing that is being spoken of. The flesh and blood of Jesus is true food and true drink unto eternal life. Therefore, you should feed upon his flesh and blood that you might live forever. But we still might have a few questions. What exactly is this food and drink? What are the benefits of partaking of it? And how does one partake of it? So first, let's look at what is this food and drink. Something we've already talked about some, but let's just review. Jesus is the living bread that comes down from heaven, verse 51. Again, in verse 51, he both gives the bread and the bread that he gives is his flesh. His flesh is what he gives for the life of the world, the bread that he gives for the life of the world. It's his flesh. And we get even more specific in verse 55. His flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. So it's, it's Jesus and even more particularly, it's his flesh and blood. Now he refers to flesh and blood, his flesh and blood, because it was by his sacrificial death that he obtained eternal life for all those who believe in him. His, his sacrifice is important and is the source of our life. How did John begin? He spoke of the word that was with God and was God, and the word became flesh. That was essential. He partook of our human nature. He became a man, that he might be an instrument of redemption. And so by partaking of our nature, by partaking of our flesh and blood, he became like us in every way except for sin. He was qualified to be our high priest, and with this flesh and blood, he died for sinners. Of course, it was the flesh and blood of one who also was God. It was the blood of God that redeemed the church uh, so that it was a perfect sacrifice of infinite value. Uh, but it was by his flesh and blood that he was able to lay down his life to satisfy divine justice. And the same body was raised from the dead. So his flesh and blood was restored and is today the source from which we receive life from him. In some of the sacrifices, uh, once the animal had been offered on the altar, the participants, the ones sacrificing it, or for whom it was sacrificed, I should say, uh, the participants ate of the sacrifice. For example, think of the Passover lamb. Uh, it was sacrificed, and the people then receiving the benefit, the people not getting killed on that first Passover, were the ones who ate of the lamb. And so we must all feed upon the true sacrifice, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that we might benefit from him. And so by feeding upon Christ's flesh and blood, by making it your own, a person receives the benefits of Christ's death. So Jesus was no mere teacher. Uh, what teacher tells you to eat is flesh and blood? Uh, some people will say, oh, Jesus was a good teacher, a good philosopher. He, he taught many good things about how we should live. Uh, but 
if someone told you to eat his flesh and blood, that his very flesh and blood was the source of life, even if it was in somewhat of a metaphorical sense, it would still be very odd. And either he wouldn't be a good teacher, or he would be much more than a good teacher. And that's true of Jesus. He was much more than a good teacher. He knew himself as the Savior, as the sacrifice, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that is whom he taught himself to be. And that's one reason why the people grumbled. We know this guy's parents. This, this is a man like us. Who is he to save us, to be the very bread from heaven, uh, to be the source of life, to give his own flesh for us to eat? Uh, but he was no ordinary man. He was the Son of God come to save us. So what is the food? It is his flesh and blood. What are the benefits of partaking of it? Is it important? Is, is it necessary? Yes, it's important. Yes, it's necessary. The crowds asked him, how, or asked each other, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? I think that's verse 52. But Jesus doesn't start by answering their question. He first doubles down on his statement. Before they start disputing this, they should recognize how important it is. He said... Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So it's very important. If you do not partake, and I just use partake as a shorthand for eat and drink, if you do not partake of his flesh and blood, then you have no life in you. You don't have life in you if you don't eat. Just as if you don't eat bread, or if you don't eat earthly food, your body shrivels up and dies. So if you are not partaking of Christ's flesh and blood, one is dead, spiritually dead, and doomed to death. Cannot bear good fruit. Apart from Christ, you and I would be condemned by our sins, spiritually dead, unable to bear good fruit, doomed to eternal death. Even though Christ died and Christ raised from the uh, is risen from the dead, you would still be dead unless you are connected to him, unless you abide in him and he in you, unless you eat his flesh and drink his blood. But whoever partakes of his flesh and blood has eternal life and will be raised by Jesus on the last day. That's what verse 54 says. 57 says a person will live because of Jesus who eats of him. Verse 58 says that person will live forever. And so no life without partaking of Christ and life eternally for the one whoever partakes of him. No one will be cast out, the one who comes to Jesus. Jesus distinguishes between this true food and eternal life from perishable food and this mortal life. He says, you know, fathers ate that bread in the wilderness and they died. It was manna. It sustained their earthly life, but uh, they still died. But this is true food. It will never run out. It is fully sufficient forever. You will not get hungry. It does not merely sustain you for a few hours, but for eternity. And while it does not prevent you from physically dying in this age, it gives you a spiritual life and union with God now, a place in heaven after his death, and a glorious resurrection on the last day. This food 
overthrows death. It doesn't just put it off a few hours. It will actually overthrow it on the last day. Notice the importance of this resurrection, that Jesus will raise you up, and at a particular time when he will raise everyone up, all his people, that is, the others will be raised to a resurrection of eternal death, but those who have fed upon him, who have taken this food, who have believed in Jesus Christ, will be raised up together on that day. And so we look to the life of the age to come. So there is great benefit to partaking of Christ. But then thirdly, how does one partake of his flesh and blood? How does a person eat his flesh and drink his blood? We've spoken of a little bit how we don't do it. You know, what he's not talking about taking little bits of meat and putting them in your mouth. I mean, he did, even in the Lord's Supper, he used bread, not meat. You know, we're not talking about literal flesh and blood. Um, well, we are talking about literal flesh and blood, but not in the way we partake of it, not a literal eating of it. It's a spiritual partaking of this grace. And you, a person does this by faith. Jesus had already taught that the way people receive the bread of life was to believe in him, which is the same thing as coming to him. In verse 35, which we talked about earlier, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so the way one quenches his hunger, the way one satisfies his thirst, in other words, the way one eats and drinks of Christ, is to believe in him, is to come to him. Uh, one feeds on him, not with your teeth and mouth, uh, but with your faith. How do you eat bread? You use your hands, you use your mouth, but how do you eat the bread of God? By believing in Jesus Christ. Your faith is like your spiritual hands and mouth that receives the flesh and blood of Christ and receives all their benefit, all that grace, all the benefits of, uh, that, that Christ has purchased for us by his death. And yet, how can a person have communion with this flesh and blood when his flesh and blood are far from us in heaven at the Father's right hand? How is this life of Christ given to those who believe? How is faith itself produced in those who are by nature dead? Not only should we speak of faith, that we partake by faith, but it's also done through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, who is the giver of life. Jesus speaks of this after he uh, receives uh, some or knows some feedback from the disciples. They're grumbling. This is a hard saying. And in verse 63, he says, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus is the life. And the Spirit gives you this life. The Spirit applies the work of Christ. He works and produces that faith in the believer. The Father draws people to Christ through the Spirit. The Spirit binds us to Christ and conveys that life from his flesh and blood to you. He bridges the distance. He makes that distance irrelevant so that Christ's... Uh, 
so that Christ is offered to all who believe. Faith and the Spirit are a double bond that binds us to Christ. So we feed on Christ by faith. We have communion with him through the power of the Spirit. The life itself comes from his physical flesh and blood, and this life is given to us by the Spirit in a spiritual manner. Now, this is the way a person participates in his flesh and blood, generally throughout one's life, as well as in the Lord's Supper. All people are told to immediately, you know, at any time, to respond to the words of life by believing in Jesus and thereby feeding upon him. You don't have to wait to partake of the Lord's Supper to begin receiving this life. This happens before you partake of the Lord's Supper. But the Lord's Supper symbolizes this reality. It confirms this reality. It holds forth this reality to, uh, to partake of it more and more. Jesus appointed bread and wine as tangible signs and seals of this spiritual reality so that you don't just hear it, but you see it. You, you taste so that you might know. Those who partake in a worthy manner of the Lord's Supper with knowledge and with faith in Christ do receive what is symbolized and partake of his body and blood to their spiritual nourishment. And so the bread and wine are not empty signs, but are a participation in the body and blood of Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. As one old preacher put it, we get the same thing in the sacrament that we get in the word, but we get the same thing better. Now, he has appointed it for our good and our growth in grace. And so I, I encourage the children here, especially, uh, to see to it that you know Christ, that you believe in Christ now, and that you learn how to treat the Lord's Supper so that you might profess your faith publicly. Begin to partake of the Lord's Supper as another support for your growth in grace, in addition to the word which you already receive. Now the flesh and blood of Jesus then is true food and true drink unto eternal life. So you should feed upon it that you might live forever. What is that food and drink? It's the flesh and blood of Christ, a sacrifice for your salvation. What are the benefits of partaking of it? Eternal life. How does one partake of it? By faith and through the Holy Spirit, who is the giver of life. So receive the words of eternal life that Jesus spoke. Believe in him as the disciples did, the twelve, well, the eleven at least, as they did as the Holy One of God sent to save sinners. For whoever believes in him shall be saved. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for the life that you have given to us who were dead in our sins and trespasses, that in a world which was under your curse and your wrath, which was justly upon us for our ingratitude and wickedness, that you have sent life again to the world through your Son, that through his death and resurrection we might again have life, to be united with you who is the true life, we pray that you would continue to nourish us in this way through Jesus Christ, that his flesh and blood would be to us as bread and wine, but eternally. We pray that you would draw in the nations and the peoples and our neighbors to partake as well, uh, that they might receive life instead of death. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.